following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, October 8th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Again, it is a joy to be able to gather together with you. Um, I I just want to quickly encourage... um, Many of you, uh, to come out to our Grace Gathering today, we are meeting uh, at 4 o'clock right back here. Uh, We're going to give some important updates to share with you, and then afterwards uh, we are going to have a uh, chili cook-off, which will be amazing, and it is very likely that you will see at least one of your pastors thoroughly embarrassed. Um, That pastor is me, just to ease the minds of of all the other pastors. uh, the reason that that will happen is that I know a lot of you um, take a lot of great pride in making your chili as hot as possible. Um, and I know you don't think it's that hot, uh, but it really is that hot. Um, uh, I, I, I don't do hot foods. Um, I said in the first service, um, what I meant to say was, I'm going to share with you the level of hotness that I can take. But all I said was, I'm going to tell you my level of hotness. Um, (laughs) At at which point, my wife and my wife alone started laughing very loudly. So I'm going to tell you the level of hotness that I can handle. Medium salsa is way too hot for me. Um, a, f- a friend of mine years ago put something in his chili that apparently was the second hottest spice in the world at that time. And I took one bite of that. And um, what happens to me when I eat something that is, that is uh, hot is that I start to hiccup. Um, I start to hiccup uncontrollably. Um, And I know what you're thinking. Hiccups can't be that bad. Um, If you are thinking, what could be that embarrassing about hiccups, then come tonight to find out. Um, It it happens often and incredibly loudly. If you've ever watched Lord of the Rings, uh, I I essentially sound like the ring race that are chasing after Frodo that make loud screeching sounds over and over again. Um, So I hope you can join us tonight at the Grace Gap. Uh, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, uh, really taking a close look at how the author of Hebrews is, is making a compelling case that Jesus is better than everything and everybody that we could set our hope on, uh, to, that we could set our confidence on. This letter to the Hebrews was uh, most likely, as others have said, most likely written uh, to uh, Jewish men and women who had become followers of Jesus. And then not long after they had started following Jesus, they began suffering persecution. And they were tempted to leave Jesus. They were thinking and considering uh, to leave behind what they said they believed because it, it was it become too hard. They believed and trusted in Christ, but and now it seemed like they were turning away from him. And, and so the author is pleading with them to see and to fix their eyes on Jesus, to see the greatness of Christ. To see that Jesus is, is better even in the midst of suffering. It's better than anything you could put your hope in. Even in the face of difficulty and suffering, Jesus is still better. And so this week and next, we are going to be in chapter 3 of Hebrews. Today we're going to be looking at those first six verses that Fred read for us. And then next week the remaining verses. 
these verses show us a lot of things about Jesus. Uh, he is our better apostle, our better high priest. He is our better Moses. And so, and, and, and on and on it goes. And we'll take a look at a number of those, you know, as we move on. But before he shows us how Jesus is better, the author calls us to do something. In verse 1 of Hebrews 3, he calls us to consider Jesus. He says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This word consider here is an important word. The original word really means that we, we, we deeply gaze and think on Jesus with a desire to understand it. The NIV translates this word, fix our thoughts on Jesus. The author will use a similar word later on in Hebrews when he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So when the author here tells us to consider Jesus, he, he's He's telling us to, to put our fixed and steady gaze onto Jesus with a desire to know and to understand him. This is, this is not a quick glance at Jesus. This is not a weekly or even a daily check-in with Jesus. We are considering Jesus at all times. Our hearts and our minds, they don't stop thinking about him. They're consumed with Jesus. Every day, every moment, in every aspect of our life, we remember, we consider who he is and what he has done and is doing for us. But for so many of us, when we think about our, our Christian walk, when we think about our relationship with Jesus, what he means in our lives, we often talk about how much time we spend with Jesus, how much time we spend reading the Bible or in prayer. And, and those things can be good to consider. But most of us, if we're honest, have, all, have, have said something like, I really want to read my Bible more. I want to spend more time with Jesus, but I just can't find time. I just, I just get so busy. So we make goals like we're trying to spend 15 minutes with Jesus every day. We are trying to fit Jesus somewhere into our lives instead of building our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus. We are trying to find a few minutes to read about Jesus rather than fixing our hearts on Jesus. We find it very difficult to even spend a few minutes a, a day. And so when we read things like this, when we read fix your thoughts on Jesus, it can sound like an impossible task. Like this is something we're not able to do. But for most of us, it really isn't difficult to fix our eyes on something. In fact, we fix our eyes all too easily on the wrong things. Just over the past few years, our culture and our language has started including words like binge-watching and doom-scrolling. Uh, there are hotlines set up for screen addictions. Uh, we say we just don't have enough time to find time to read God's Word. But without thinking about it, we can watch four hours a night of our favorite TV show. We can easily go on to social media or our favorite news feed and just sit and read and read and read. And we find ourselves getting more frustrated and angry at the world. And then three hours have, have passed. We can't take our eyes off our phones. And, and most of us struggle with these things. I struggle with, with all of those things. We can fix our eyes and our minds all too easily on the wrong things. And yet, if we sit down and try to pray for five minutes, we all know that we will find ourselves almost immediately distracted and thinking about other things. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you how much time to spend praying or reading your Bible. That's important and that's important to consider. But the Bible wants us to go further. 
The Bible calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus, and, and we don't take our eyes off of him. We need to be reminded of who he is and what he's done and is doing at all times. There is never a day that we don't need this. In verse 13 of the same chapter, we are told to encourage one another daily, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another daily, but encourage one another to what? In what? What keeps our hearts from becoming bitter and hardened by sin? Jesus does. Verse 13 is a callback here to verse 1. Encourage one another daily to fix your eyes on Jesus. Every day, my heart, your heart is at risk of becoming bitter and hardened. And the remedy that God has for us is to see Jesus. We don't fix our gaze on ourselves. We don't fix our gaze on angels or prophets or Moses or anyone else on earth. We fix our gaze on Jesus alone. There are a lot of reasons that we need to do this. There are a lot of implications of that. But the writer here gives us three ways that we're going to look at this morning. Three things that happen when we consider Jesus. First, we see that when we consider Jesus, we see ourselves and we see others in a better way. In the book of Hebrews, the author is going to help us see Jesus, but he's also going to help us see others in light of who Jesus is. Verse 1 starts uh, before we're told to consider Jesus. We're told this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, God calls us holy brothers and sisters, those who share together in a heavenly calling. You partake together in a heavenly calling. You know, the Bible shows us clearly that we are sinners in desperate need of saving. And it also shows us clearly that we are sufferers, that we go through difficult times, and that God promises to comfort and care for us in our suffering. But the Bible also shows us clearly that we are saints, not just one day we'll be saints, but that if we have trusted in him, that we are saints, that we are God's holy people. This word holy here doesn't mean that we are already perfected or sinless, but that we are God's people who have been set apart and will one day be perfected in, in the holiness of Christ. But this is often for me, I think, one of the harder things to see in myself. And it's hard to see in others, but it is certainly just as important for us to understand. It's easy for me to see my own sin it's easy for me to see the suffering that I've experienced, but it's much harder for me to, to see that God has already, present day, made me one of his holy saints. Do you struggle to believe this about yourself? Do you struggle to believe what God has done in you, that he has made you a part of his family? If so, then the answer to that is also consider Jesus. When you look and see Jesus, then what he says about you becomes more important even than what you think about yourself. When you see Jesus, what he says about you is even more important than what you think about yourself. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize who we are. We have been made holy in Christ. We have been made a part of a family with the creator and the sustainer of the universe, Jesus Christ. That's the family that we are a part of. And we have been given a heavenly calling. Considering Jesus gives us confidence and hope in who we are because we are his. 
It also helps us, it helps us to see ourselves in a better way, but it also helps us to see others in a better way. It helps us to see fellow Christians and the people in our church in a better way. Because it's easy for me to see someone else's sin. It's often hard for me to see them as the, in the way God sees them. Some of you have heard me say before, I'm a big history buff, and, and one of my favorite areas of American history to study is the American West. Uh, essentially, in the mid to late 1800s, rumors were just spreading of, of treasure and gold being hidden in the mountains. And so essentially what happens initially is, is a bunch of former criminals and some current criminals and, and people who just couldn't make it where they were all started going out west at the same time to find their fortune. And there was no real law. And so all these people are just shooting each other, hating each other, uh, competing with each other to be able to find their own personal treasure. And, and that is essentially how we got California. Um, <laughs> no, I'm... I mean, it is, but we love California, so it's okay. But the church is a little bit like the American West. It is made up of a bunch of, of sinners who don't get along, a bunch of people who are self-centered, possessive, prideful, and suddenly thrown all together in one place. But God looks at that group of people and says, I'm going to do something amazing with you. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to make you all share together in the same heavenly calling. And I'm going to do that through my son, Jesus. Now, when we are just looking at ourselves, often what we see is just what bothers us, what is different about us, what we don't like. Uh, we, see, we see other people's sin, and that's all that we can see. And I, 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 will, be, I will be honest with you that, that there's been a time in my life where I felt very angry and bitter towards Christians. I didn't enjoy being around Christians. In fact, I wanted to be around them less and less. It is easy to get into that place. It is easy to get into that place if our eyes are just fixed on the people around us. If we are not considering Jesus. If our eyes just get fixed too much on fellow Christians and their flaws, then it would feel impossible to believe that we're in this together, that we are brothers and sisters, that we share together in what God has called us to. But when we consider Christ and remember how much he has done for me, how desperately I needed to be saved, how much forgiveness I, I needed and I still need every day, and how willingly Jesus gave his life so that I could be a part of this, then we must have a better view of our fellow Christians. We must and will have a better view of the people in our church. I want you to know, church, I, I, I try to say it every time I'm, I'm, I'm up here. It is a joy to be able to gather together. I, I love you. I genuinely consider it an amazing privilege to be called brothers and sisters. But it is not because you are just that great. Um, <laughs> it is because Jesus is just that great. And he has done such miraculous things in my life that to think that he's also done them in yours, to think that he is making me holy and to know that he is doing that in your life as well, that, that makes us a part of the same family. And I'm excited about that. When we consider Jesus, then we will look around us and we will see holy brothers and sisters. We will see, see dear brothers and sisters who belong to God. We will see partakers of a heavenly calling. 
He talks about this heavenly calling, but what does this, what does this mean? What are we sharing in? It means a few things. It means that the God of the universe has called you to, to, to himself. He has called you, redeemed you. He has made a way for you to be with him. The one who rules over heaven and earth has called you. He has established with you a relationship of unity and love that will last for eternity. And it also means that you are called to heaven, that this is not your lasting home here on earth. This earth is not your final place, your final destination. You will be with Jesus forever and ever in heaven. That is your lasting home. That is what we share in. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 and 16, the author is talking about people that have suffered and even died for their faith. And he says this about them. He says that they knew that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Why did they go through this? Why did they continue on in this? Because they knew that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. They knew what awaited them. We are called to heaven. And then it means that our lives today will be shaped more and more by heavenly things than by earthly things. Uh, Pastor Sam Storms, I think, said it well. He says, things that you used to love, you'll gradually grow to hate. Things you used to do and say because you believed they could make life fun and worth living, you'll gradually come to recognize as empty and destructive. You won't be controlled simply by earthly desires and pleasures. You will be controlled by Christ and his love. And you will long to do things that are pleasing to him more and more. This, this heavenly calling is the most lasting identity that you have, Christian. Our mistakes and our sins are going to be removed as far away from us as the east is from the west. Our suffering, every tear is, is promised to be wiped away. But this statement will be true for us forever and ever. Partakers in the heavenly calling. That should stick with us now. We should understand that now because it is going to go with us into heaven. So when we consider Jesus, it makes us see ourselves and it makes us see others in a better way. Secondly, when we fix our eyes and consider Jesus, we see that he is better than all of our heroes. But specifically, he is better than Moses. That he is worthy of more glory than Moses and every other human hero that we could have. Verses 2 through 6, I'm just going to read them again as it points directly to how Jesus is better than Moses. We're told to consider Jesus, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was, was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful, faithful over God's house as a son. Now many of us are probably familiar, have heard about Moses. We, we've, we know stories of Moses. Uh, we've watched the Prince of Egypt eight times. Uh, we, we, we know the stories of the burning bush and, and the plagues, and, and we've seen the picture of Moses leading his people through the, through the parted sea. But as, as much as we might be familiar with those stories, not, not many of us truly understand how people, especially at this time, would have viewed Moses. When this letter to the Hebrews was written, 
Moses was considered by many to be the greatest man who had ever lived. There was certainly no greater Hebrew than Moses. And most of the people would have considered him the greatest man to ever walk the earth. God himself spoke very highly of Moses and used him in amazing ways. Numbers chapter 12 verses uh, 5 through 8 gives us a glimpse of how God spoke of Moses. We're told that the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and he called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward and he said this. This is God speaking. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. God himself lifts up Moses, says that I speak to him in a way that I don't speak to everybody. God used Moses to give his people his commandments. And the legend of Moses just kept going, growing throughout time. There's a rabbi who lived before Christ named Ben Sarah who, who was quoted as saying Moses was beloved by all humanity and he was considered the equal of the holy ones, the angels in glory. They considered him the equal of angels. There were some Jewish people who believed that the Messiah that was coming, the one that was promised was going to be a new Moses. For many at this, at this time, Moses was the hero of the Bible as they knew it. He was, he was greater than the prophets. He was greater than the angels. Moses was a big deal. Moses' name was mentioned 847 times in the Bible. Only, only David and Jesus were mentioned more. If you, if you listen to, to people talk about sports at all, the conversation has completely turned in sports talk to the GOAT conversation, the greatest of all time. Uh, who is the GOAT in football, basketball, soccer? It is a constant conversation on, on Twitter and sports radio. Well, if, there's, if there was a discussion of greatest Hebrews of all time, Moses certainly would have been at the top of that list. But Moses was not just a biblical character. He was the hero of humanity, the ruler that they wanted someone like. And it is important for us to understand this because the claim that Jesus was greater than Moses wasn't a comparison between two great athletes. It wasn't a comparison between two great leaders. It would have been considered a scandalous claim to many. He was, he was their hero. You've probably heard the quote, never, never meet your heroes. They will always let you down. There's certainly some truth to that, but I appreciate what the author does here. The author isn't saying that. The author is not saying Moses will let you down. He's not saying Moses wasn't really that great. He's actually pointing to how faithful Moses was. In verse 2, he says, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. I want you to consider Jesus who was faithful, just like Moses was faithful in all God's house. The author doesn't point out how flawed or sinful Moses was, even though he was. In fact, in, in Hebrews 11, Moses will be talked about again, and the author will point out many ways that Moses was faithful. The author is commending Moses and just pointing us to the fact that Moses was great, but nowhere near as great as Jesus. He was, he was great, but he does not deserve to be looked at and gazed upon forever and ever. You don't have to put someone down 
to, to proclaim how great Jesus is. Jesus is just that great. You don't have to put down others to see how great Jesus is. It is not a knock to say you aren't as great as Jesus. The author here doesn't put him down. If, if, if LeBron James were with us today, I'd want him to hear two things. First, consider Jesus. Um, and number two, it's not a knock for someone to say you're not as great as Michael Jordan. Um, you're, you're still really good. You're just not that good. And it's okay. You don't have to put down LeBron. You, you can. There's some things to pick out. But you don't have to put down LeBron to say that Michael was better. Moses, Moses was faithful, but Jesus was better. Moses was a messenger. Jesus himself is the message. Moses was faithful with the message that God gave him, but Jesus was the supreme example of faithfulness, the most complete display of faithfulness. In verse 3, we're told Jesus has greater honor than Moses in the same way that a builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Moses was a faithful servant in the house, but Jesus is the owner and the builder of that house. He is the son that cares and loves and takes care of that house. Moses loved God. Jesus is God. I can tell you with great certainty that Moses himself would not have any difficulty admitting to you that Jesus is the only one worthy of fixing our gaze upon. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26 actually points to this. We're told that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What was his reward that he was looking ahead to? It was Jesus. And he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures that Egypt could offer. Moses looked ahead to Jesus and knew that there was nothing else worth looking at. Moses knew that Jesus was rightly worthy of more glory than he could have ever been. And so verses 3 and 4 tell us Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house is more honor than the house itself. Moses was faithful. Others have been faithful. But they are faithful in a way that a well-placed brick is in a house is faithful. It does what it's supposed to do. But it is one of many bricks. But Jesus was the designer, the architect, the builder, and the one who oversees everything about that house. And Jesus was perfectly faithful in it. That deserves more glory than a brick in the house. There is one son that rules over that house and Jesus was faithful as that son. Ultimately, every hero that we have in this world falls well short of Jesus. Even those who are faithful, even those who, who faithfully follow after him, even those that we look at and say, I want to be like that person. Most of our heroes will disappoint us or let us down because we're all sinners. But even if they don't let you down, even the people that are faithful, they still aren't worthy of gazing at like Jesus is. They still aren't as good as Jesus. The best any of us can do is to point to Jesus. The best any of us can do is to point one another to Jesus. It's the reason we come here on Sunday mornings. It's not to make much of ourselves. It's not to be seen. It is to make much of Jesus and point each other to Jesus. That's the absolute best that we can do for one another. So Jesus is better than Moses, better than all our earthly heroes. And then uh, finally we see and consider, when we can see and consider Jesus, we see 
that he is our better home. He is our better house. Verse 6 of Hebrews 3 tells us, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The term house gets used seven times in these six verses, and it can be translated really either house or household. Um, these verses show us that, that he is building two things. He is building a place, and he is building a, peop- a people. And both are better than anything that we can build for ourselves. Uh, my wife and I moved into our current house 13 years ago, and we love our house. If it's up to us, we will, we will stay in that house for as long as we live. Um, and at first, when we got that house, I was so excited to, to fix it up, do the yard work. I built a walkway uh, to the house that still stands to this day. Um, just, just, just so you know, I don't do any of those things anymore. Um, I, I knew our house wasn't perfect, but all the things that were wrong with it that just seemed like fun challenges to overcome. Uh, a few years in, I was, I was mowing the lawn in our backyard, um, and in the ground was a nest of bees. Um, and I went right over, not knowing that nest of bees was there, I went right over that, that nest with the lawnmower. And apparently bees don't like lawnmowers, um, because they attacked, not the lawnmower, they attacked me. Um, and, and my wife, Jen, saw me immediately running for the door, frantically away from these bees. And she lovingly threw the basement door open to help me so that I could get inside. And then she immediately ran upstairs, closed the door behind her, and locked me in the basement with those bees. <laughs> for, for, for like two hours. Like, she literally opened it to say, do you think you're okay? And that was the last I saw her. I had, I had 17 bee stings in my legs and ended up finding another 50 bees in my clothes. Not long after this, our basement flooded, like deep water flooding uh, and, and ruined a lot of things. Then we started seeing cracks in our, in, our, in, our, in our basement. It was literally like the plagues of Egypt were just playing out in our basement. Um, this house that I, I, I loved and was excited to faithfully care for, I was about ready to abandon and just put up a sign that says, enter at your own risk. Um, sometimes that's what our actual house feels like, and sometimes that's what our family feels like. Sometimes that's what our relationships feel like. It can feel like the cracks are showing. Situations are happening that are hard and painful, and we just feel ready to give up. Nothing that we build on our own can last for eternity. Our house can fail us, our family, our friends, our people can fail us, but Jesus is better. Jesus is faithful. This is where Jesus is just better and and greater than all of us. Verse 6 says, Christ is faithful over God's house. Jesus is our builder. He is the head of our family. He is the one that leads and rules over his people, his church. He provides for that house and he protects that house. Jesus is the one that builds the church and the people in it. Jesus is the one that has gone to prepare a place for those people. And Jesus is the one that is powerful and faithful enough to never let his house be destroyed or fall into ruin. He is powerful and faithful enough to never let one of his children walk away from him. He closes out these verses in this thought by encouraging us one more time 
to consider Jesus. And we'll talk more about this next week. But the author says, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Now, this could be seen and, and has been seen as a, as a warning. But, but I think right here in this moment, this is more of an encouragement to, to do what he already said to do in verse 1. To never stop considering Jesus. Never stop fixing your eyes on Jesus. What is our confidence and our hope? It is Jesus. So hold tight to Jesus. He has already promised that he has a tight grip on you. He has said that all that the Father gives me, no one will ever take them from my hand. He has told us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so he is calling us now to, 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 to hold fast to this, to consider Jesus, to, to, to know for sure that, that there is nothing that we can turn to other than him. How do we know if we truly trust and believe in these things? The answer is, is simple. Don't stop fixing your eyes on Jesus. Someone who is truly his will continue to hold fast to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we won't sin, that we won't have questions, that we won't ever miss church. But it does mean that we don't turn our backs on, on Jesus and say, it's just not true. It's not believable. It's not worth it. No, in moments of suffering and persecution, even in moments of difficulty, we remember that our confidence is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope and confidence is in Christ forever and ever. Jesus is faithful. He is faithful over God's house and we are his house. Don't ever lose hope in that. Don't lose confidence in that, no matter what happens. For those of us who have trusted and believed in Christ and found salvation in him, we always turn to him. We have a better home than this world could ever offer. We are a part of a house in a very real, tangible way. We, 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 we have a savior that is better than, than everyone else that has ever lived. And he has promised that, that, that when we are united together with him, that we are made a part of his house, a part of his people, that nothing can separate us from that. That's the hope that we have today, that Jesus is greater, he is better, he is more faithful. Uh, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, I, I'm so glad that you are here. Um, I, I, I don't know why you're here, but I'm glad that you're here. If you've been trying to do good things, trying to improve yourself, trying to make better decisions, maybe this is one of those things. Those are all good things. But none of those things mean that you're a Christian. Being a, being a Christian is actually much simpler than doing all those things to try and save yourself. You just need to see and trust and believe in Jesus. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from putting your hope in other things. And trust in Christ. It is the sweetest, greatest decision you will ever make. He is greater and better than everything else in this world. He is better than everything else that you can put your hope in. And he is inviting you to, to, to see him, to trust in him, to believe in him, to become a part of his family, his people. I would love to talk to you more about it. Any of the pastors here would love to talk to you about it. Find someone around you. There's a tent outside. They'll either talk to you about what that means or they'll, they'll take you to somebody who can talk to you about it. We would love to discuss with you what it means to follow after Jesus, what it means to truly trust in him. And for us today that, that have trusted in Christ, for those that here that are Christians, every, every moment of every day, 
We need to remember who we are before Christ and be reminded of all that he's done for us. And so every week we take communion together. And so in a moment, you're going to come and, and other members of God's family, holy brothers and sisters, are going to serve you communion and encourage you to consider Jesus, encourage you to consider and see Jesus. They will remind you that Jesus is better than everything else. They will tell you that the body of Christ was offered for you and the blood of Christ was shed for you. And, and for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we'll take that bread and dip it into that juice and we will remember all that he has done for us. And then we will be sent out. We will sing together praises of this and they'll be sent out to continue to, to reflect and to consider Jesus and to share that with a world that has not trusted in, in, in him yet. We have such a remarkable savior. And he has done such remarkable things. There's no, nothing else worthy of our gaze. We're going to take a couple minutes of reflection after I pray, and then we'll take communion together. But pray with me now. Father, thank you so much for all that you have uh, done for us. Um, Father, we, we, we turn to so many other things uh, to find confidence and hope. And you offer it so beautifully and freely in your son. And so I pray, I pray from my own heart, my own eyes this week, that you would uh, remind me, that you would turn, turn my eyes to see you, um, to see Jesus, uh, to, to um, not just see him right now or tonight, um, but that in every moment of every day, that, that I want to see Jesus and be made like him, Father. Um, thank you for the amazing grace that you have shown us uh, to make us a part of your family, your house. Let us never take that lightly. Father, we, we, we need you for, for all things, and you so willingly and, and joyfully supply for all that we need. Uh, remind us of that today. Remind us as we go out from here. Uh, give us the boldness to share that with others. Um, uh, and, and use, use that to, to, to transform the lives of many. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www dot redemptionhill dot o r g